When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest weekly podcast. Thanks so much for joining and joining me this week are my colleagues Matt Dunn and Andy Dunn, um, Double Dunn. So it's nice to have you with, you, with, with us uh, guys. Um, and uh, plenty to go at. Lots of Champions League reaction, but Man United, what a story. I mean, where do you start, basically? What an incredible night. Wow. Um, astonishing. Seven goal thriller, red cards, Eric Tenard back in the mixer again. Wow. Um, it's astonishing. Arsenal in relative cruise control, really. And, um, you know, what does that mean for this weekend? Um, what about the title race? That became slightly, slightly more interesting. There were all those VAR controversies. Um, but listen, let's start with um, Man United, um, shall we? And Andy, what did you what did you make of the game overall? But also kind of, what's, you know, it's amazing to see, you know, from my perspective, I was at Arsenal, and then the perspective afterwards was basically Ten Hag back on, back in the betting odds, you know, basically, and Ten Hag's future yeah. back in doubt. And actually, it felt like, at times, they played quite well, but this is Man United. This, this is Man United. Just a, a quick aside on that, um, John, about, I, I, you know, I noticed into my email, um, straight after that game, came the PR emails, Ten Hag favourite for the sack again. You know, I, I, I'm not, one who I've got mixed views on the role of betting in sports, but I just don't like it when we're betting on people losing the jobs. So I can I can say that right now. That's just a, a, a one to start with. But yeah, it, it, it's it's the nature of United of the United job and the, the nature of the fact that the way not by not by design, purely by accident, Ten Hag seems to either win or lose a game. I mean, it's a very simple thing to say, but that's what he does. You know, he tends to win or lose a game. Hence, um, five wins, five losses in the league, six wins. And now it tends to be, you know, one against Copenhagen at home, loses away. So it polarizes opinion. I mean, it really does. He went on a run of three wins on the spin recently, then lost two on the bounce, the games against Manchester City and Newcastle in the Carabao Cup. And all of a sudden, he's on the brink again. And this is why I think this is slightly over the top, the reaction to it. In a broad scheme of things, for example, if you sit in the Premier League, he has 18 points from 11 games. Now, would a manager, and people say, well, he's lost six games, he's lost five games, it's more than any other United manager since blah, 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 has lost, et cetera, et cetera. 
Now, Wood, if he'd say um, one four drawn six, lost one, would he be under the same pressure? The chances are no, but he'd still have 18 points after 11 games. So I think a lot of it is over the top. But what is happening now is that these sorts of games last night are following him around where when things do go wrong, they don't just go wrong, they go spectacularly wrong. They don't just concede one goal to get a tie back into it, they concede two. Um, and we've saw the quick goals in, in so many games and that's one of the issues is do they have the the organization, the spirit, the discipline, the character, the leadership to actually get things on an even keel when they've had a setback? And last night, certainly not. When they conceded that third goal, you know, it looked inevitable. The Copenhagen, who, by the way, are a relatively limited side, although the lad who scored that goal, the winning goal, Rooney, um, he was he looked he he looks a player. I mean, I think we'll be seeing him in the Premier League before too long. He's only seventeen, I think he's eighteen in a week's time. So yeah, so everything at the moment that can go wrong to a certain extent. When it starts going wrong for Ten Hag, it goes badly wrong. On last night's game, I think I had sympathy for Ten Hag when he said about the Rashford dismissal being a turning point. It was a turning point, and I thought it was an extremely harsh red card. I really did. I, I didn't think it was a dismissal. A booking at best, I'm not even sure it was a booking. Um, I think the analysis of it on TV and subsequent analysis on social media is probably the majority of his right in the sense that Rashford didn't know that the guy was going to plant his leg underneath there. I thought that was harsh. And I don't have any any qualms with Ten Hag saying it was harsh. I don't think the nature of his criticism of referees and the referee last night was anywhere near comparable to Mikel Arteta's criticism. So I do think at the moment, um, is he back on the brink? No. And let's have a let's have a quickly a, a look at this. Is there pressure on him from outside, from the media, from fans, from observers, from radio phone-ins, from TV programs? Yes. Is there pressure on him from the old Trafford boardroom? No. No, I think you're right. I do I do think it's interesting. Um, Matt, I don't know whether you saw the incident, but it was interesting. I watched the Champions League highlights when I got in last night, and I have to say, TNT have, mm. have played a blinder with that. What a really good show, by the way. You know, that was a show that was missing from the schedule, in my view, before. Um, and uh, it was interesting analysis because in commentary, which they obviously showed the highlights, but they obviously picked yes, away the live highlights. I don't know whether you heard Mirror Sports' own Robbie Savage saying that he thought it was a, he thought it was it was a red card, but he did away <laughs> and say it was harsh. But basically, he was um, you know he did say it was harsh, but he did think it was a red. And I was, I was just thinking, Robbie, Robbie, the player that you were. <laughs> You, you, of all people, think it's a, it's a. I love Robbie, but absolute top man. But um, but um, but I was thinking of all people, you know, you, you're thinking of red. What did you? What did you make of it? I, I, well, I thought Robbie was always the expert on getting yellows rather than reds. Yeah, he picked up a few reds, but he was brilliant at getting a, a dark yellow. Definitely, um, he knew exactly where the line was when he was a player. Um, do you know what? People say we don't play the game enough and, you know, we don't really understand it. I've, even at my limited level, I've come out of enough games with holes in the football socks from studs, from challenges that didn't really register at the time. 
Um, but, you know, when you put your foot in on a 50-50 ch- chance, chances are you start going to get caught up with someone's foot. And, and I think that's what's happened here. I don't think they slow it right down and you see this still image of the um, f- foot being planted against the leg. And it looks like it's the most awful leg-breaking challenge. But there's no sense of the momentum. And Rashford's just put his foot in for the ball. He's scraped against his his leg. Uh, And that happens in football. And I I watched the uh, YouTube channel of the BT highlights, and the commentary presumably was the same. Uh, And the the initial commentary is great defending from Rashford. Uh, And that's what it's always been in football. Yeah, we slow it right down for VAR, and we see... you know, studs planted into shins, uh, and, and it's a nonsense. It, it wasn't that bad a challenge, and, and I think the whole. I mean, initially when they brought in VAR, they said they weren't going to slow incidents down because they do look worse. But that's all we ever seem to see on the television, uh, and yeah, you see that still, and it looks awful. But you know, there's no sense of how much pressure. Yeah, I must say, Matt, there was another one, wasn't there, where, where, where in commentary, you know, when Maguire puts his arm like that, where I just don't think it's handball. And basically, you know, they're, they're basically immediately saying commentary, that's basically handball. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Well, that's where the game's gone, unfortunately. Yeah. And I actually, by the way, I think VAR in, in, in Europe is better. You know, it, it's better. Mm. But, you know, but they are so precise, aren't they? You know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. John, the, the, the VAR is better in Europe. The handball law is worse in Europe. So that both of those handballs last night, the one against Maguire and the one where Maguire heads the ball from about six inches against the guy's arm, and it might have actually hit Maguire's fingers as well in the way. There's no way that's given us handball um, in in the Premier League, there's no way that is used handball, and neither would Maguire's offence handball for that penalty. So they cancelled each other out. So there's no way th- th- there's no way that would have happened. The overarching, listen, I think if we just go back, I'm sure we'll come back to VAR um, later on. But just quickly going back to United, I do think what needs to be looked at is is one I've mentioned the way they have these periods when they concede one, concede two goals, and basically. Of are struggling in adversity. They played as well as I've seen them play for um, for a short while last night. And, and you know, they looked... I mean, for example, if if Hoyland's first goal had been scored by, by Haaland um, in terms of the build-up and the finish, we would have been saying how great it was, you know. We, and I think there are... I wouldn't say green shoots because he's been there too long for that, but there are promising signs. However, I think Ten Hag does have to come under the microscope for a couple of things, bringing Mason Mount on at that stage of the game, I, I thought was not, I didn't quite get that substitution. You know, I don't get that. I mean, is Hoyland really not fit enough to last the entire game? He was a good out ball. He was a good outlet for United on the counter. who looked good on the counter all game, particularly, you know, when they had 10 men. I think there's questions there that need to be asked. Um I think it's unfortunate they missed Luke Shaw because I'm not sure he would have done what Dallow did and switched off for that goal. Um, so he has injury issues. Um, I just think he has some selection issues. Mason Mount, to me, is a big talking point. You know, if, you, if you've if got big games, Champions League games, um, games against Manchester City at home, games where you've got injuries, where Casemiro's missing, you've got a fit, marquee signing you made in the summer 
a lad who who not long ago was not far off being a, a staple pick for for Gareth Southgate. And how can't you get him into the team? You know, and that's that's something that I, I think needs to be addressed. But but I do think if you want to see the positives out of it, you know, I, I do, and and John, don't forget when myself and you we're we're, we're without name dropping on the same dinner to you as Ten Hag last Sunday at an awards evening. Well, I was, gonna, I was going to mention that to you because I tell you what, you know, without telling tales out of school and kind of giving it the giving it the big one, we are we are on occasion in a in a privileged position to to kind of get close to these guys and without being sort of kind of blown away by sort of a, a friendly handshake and and a, and a chat and I don't want to kind of give people a, the, the, the sort of the impression we're, we're completely sold or sold on that. It's not about that. In my view, it was about a sort of a you know, actually getting a di- slightly different perspective on a guy up close and personal, and y- you know, you- you're right to highlight that. It was it was impressive, wasn't it? It, it was. I-, I completely agree with you. You know, I- and I- I'll-, I'll probably write a little bit about it um, for, t- for tomorrow's Daily Mirror. And as I say, without being sort of you know bored by the fact that you know he he he, he deigns to have a you know a-, a couple of breaks bread with you as a glass of wine with you and. and- you know, is civil. That, but that's not the case. And and you know, we would never talk about what someone says privately. But what I could say is that that evening, you know, he's he's come into a room. Bear in mind, it's a journalist room, uh, awards evening. He's come into there where a lot of that room had, with or without justification, probably disparaged him and and, and suggested he's not the man for the man's United job. I'd called him Eric ten months, or you know, Eric ten games left, or something like that. He's come into that environment. He's spoken well, he's received his award well, and around, off the record, you know, all I would say is that I came away thinking at least I think he knows what Manchester United's about. He gets what Manchester United demands. Whether or not he can provide it is another question. But I I can genuinely say to people that haven't spent some time like, like we did on Sunday nights, I think he knows exactly what's required. He knows that Probably winning isn't just enough, but there's a, there's a style of winning. And, and as I say, whether or not he can deliver it is a completely different question because right at this moment, the jury is very, very much out, and that's being generous on that one. But I think he gets it, and, I, and that's why I think he'll be given time, and that's why he'll get to Yeah, I, I I completely agree. I I, I really hope so, um, because you can't flip flop in the way that they have. Everyone can see that the hierarchy has to, you know, take a shoulder of of, of the blame, and and the uncertainty at the top. Listen, Matt, Matt, we, we, you know, let's also talk about Arsenal made light work of Sevilla. You know, um, Saka was great again, wasn't he? You know, maybe maybe is he being overplayed? That's a you know, I actually think that's a valid talking point. And we should also perhaps reflect on the up, uphill battle now facing facing Newcastle. Yeah, absolutely. Can I just add one final word? Because I wasn't busy schmoozing with us. I was on Sunday. I was keeping it very real at Luton. Um, what I'd just invite anyone to do is go and see YouTube for the uh, TNT coverage. Uh, look at the third goal, the Bruno Fernandes penalty. There's a fine, my final word on Manchester United. Um there's a team, they've had a player on, yeah, rather harshly sent off. They've thrown away two goals. 
They're back against the wall, and yet against the odds, 10 men, they score what could be a winner and a lifeline. Look at the celebration. Fernandez runs to the corner flag behind him. There's five Manchester United players jogging behind him, thinking, oh, my God, have we got to run all the way out here to come and help you celebrate? There is no team. Just look at their faces. They're going through the motions of what should be a massive emotional moment. It just struck me. It was a limited view, and like you say from VAR, you know, you can see what you want to see sometimes. But in that moment, I just looked at that and thought, there's a team that's not working. And now, I mean, I've never been a Ten Hag fan, so I'm not being reactionary against him now. I've never liked the fella. But, uh, but there again, he doesn't drink red wine with me. So, uh, so, um, so yeah, I was busy having a bottle at Luton. But um, yeah. anyway, let's move on to Arsenal Newcastle, please. That's my final word on United. Arsenal, on the other hand, obviously... You know, Arteta has his team. Uh, they're all fully on board with him. You know, that, that that's what comes across there. That they are, you know, they've had a couple of defeats, which I think wobbled Arsenal. And I think the, the whole misstep on Sunday with the VAR complaint and then the club backing it was almost the club's determination to show that they're on board with Mikel. The first slight wobble in the results, they wanted to show, no, no, we still back our manager. Um they, that was the wrong argument to have against VAR. You know, Liverpool have better arguments. Other clubs have better arguments. I know other clubs, you know, have applauded Arsenal behind the scenes for keeping the the, the, the moan going, and it does need sorting out. But but that was more about Arsenal than it was about VAR. Um, but then last night they were superb. Um, they played some great football. It was like watching with with them being red and white. It was like traffic cones getting revenge on static footballers um, in, in a training exercise. There was some incredible movement around the box. What they couldn't find was a finish, which again, you know, with Trossard playing up, he's a great utility player, fits in a number of places, um, yeah. but but he's not a natural goal scorer. You know, they didn't have that, and that's still what they're missing. Um, but but then they got in front, stayed in front, and then you know obviously then as you reference Saka, I think he he brought Martinelli off a minute before. If he brought Saka off before Saka got done for the last time, I mean he's getting some incredible treatment out there. And so yeah, you know, Arteta laughed it off in the end. So we just have to get used to it. He said, you know, he may not have been born with it, but he but he certainly got used to it. And that's just what you get if you're a yeah quick nippy winger that. The, the tracks, you know, the defenders can't cope with. Um, but but there is a serious side to that. You know, it's now going to be a doubt for England, I would have thought. Um, you know, although Arsenal will be rushing to get him fit again for Burnley because they need him every single game. Um, he, he's an incredible player and, and does seem resilient. But, but you know, these things have got to add up. Um, and so they're in really good shape, you know, right on the cusp of, uh, of qualifying. They'll do that against Lons. Um, at the end of the month, um, uh, as as they always have done, to be fair. So, you know, maybe six or seven years since they were last in the Champions League, but it's Arsenal business as usual. Newcastle, I don't think it's such a bad thing that that they might struggle. 
they're finding their feet, they're building slowly, they're doing it intelligently. They are showing that with all the money they've got, they are prepared to learn to walk before they can run. Uh, and, you know, a group stage, if they miss out on the knockout stages, that might help them in the second half of the season. And I don't think that's such a disaster. You know, they've got another taste of Champions League football. Uh, the key now for them is to make sure they're in the competition again next year, probably with an extra place they will be. Um, but, but you know, missing out on the latter stages, that's the next sort of slice of the cake that they're going to be going for. So, yeah, it's a disappointment, but but Eddie Howard shouldn't see it as a, as a failure. I think it's all part of the building process for them. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm inclined to agree with you. I do think it's a valid point that, you know, maybe it can take a, a, a season to adjust, can't it? And I think that's the... Uh, um, you know that that's that's the wider point, uh, Andy. Let's come on. Let's move. Let's get into VAR and Mikel Arteta. What did you? What did you? A. What did you make of the rant? And I know we're sort of going all the way back to Saturday now. Is a manager entitled to say that? Should should the FA? I felt as if the FA were looking for something, and I can understand that point of view because you do. Mate, there has to be a line and there has to be a respect for referees. But I also feel as if you should also be entitled to um, say something. And therefore, I think actually writing to them, you know, for their observations is actually quite a sensible thing to do. Because let's, you know, and then let's see what their, it feels like, you know, let's see what their attitude is, what their reply is. And, you know, moving forward, how, you know, how do we fix this, almost this breakdown, not just of VAR, but this breakdown between officials and managers? I'm going to have a few things on this. I mean, first of all, um, remind me to come on to Arteta straight after this. First of all, no matter what you say, I'll have a wild stab, right? And here's a wild stab, is that come the end of this season, whenever it is, mid-May, end of May, I'm guessing the best team will win the Premier League and the worst team will be bottom. That's or always happens. The idea that VAR um, compromises the integrity of the Premier League is absolute nonsense. No, it doesn't. The best team will win. The worst team will lose. It's as simple as that. That's what happens. What we're talking about is the process, is the time it takes, is the should this person be allowed to hear this, etc., etc. It's all for want of a better word, one word that's overused, it's all noise. In terms of Arteta, first of all, what I would say is defend a manager's, we can't come on here and start having a go for managers expressing an honest opinion in the immediate aftermath of a game because that's what we want them to do. You know, we, we don't want them to come out and say, sorry, guys, I can't chat. Sorry, I can't say anything. We want them to do that. We, in fact, we ask them the questions that encourage that. The, and in the immediacy of a of a defeat and a, and a narrow defeat like the one at St James Park, then they're bound to be extremely emotional. And we know Arteta is an extremely combustible character anyway. Going way back to when Graham Stunis was manager of Liverpool, Sui would come in after the game, and and there was, the amount of times he came in and got into trouble for what he said, became so many that he had this, um, briefly, he had this idea that he would have the cool and golf period. So the game would finish at five o'clock and he wouldn't come in until, um, appropriate figure, 90 minutes after the final whistle. 
Of course, by which time he cooled down and he was, he was far more rational and reasonable. But it was no good for us because we were missing deadlines. You know, we want to see this guy straight after the whistle. And, of course, TV companies now want to see the manager straight after the whistle at his emotional height. So I excuse Arteta to some extent for what he said because of that. However, in terms of what his the language he, he chose and maybe injudiciously chose, implied gross incompetence on behalf of the officials. I think that's why the FA will write to him. I don't think they'll probably be able to do anything about that because we talk about incompetence all the time. We talk about incompetence of a striker. We talk about incompetence of a manager. And he's talking about incompetence of officials. However, in language, the suggests that it is rank incompetence, embarrassing, disgraceful, I feel sick, ashamed. Now, actually, the, the nature of those decisions shouldn't have elicited any such emotions. They were marginal. You know, they could have gone either way. And so there was nothing embarrassing or shameful or sick-inducing about those decisions. There was just a lot of them, and most of them went against Arsenal. Against Arsenal. What clearly then is, I think, regrettable, is that, A, of course, the ludicrous statement released by Arsenal Football Club on the Sunday afternoon, pompous, self-righteous nonsense, and then Arteta not rowing back or offering maybe a an expression of regret. I wouldn't say apology because I don't think you know he should say sorry for what for what the same what he feels. However, an expression of regret that the language he used implied that the officials were grossly incompetent, and I think that's where it came in. The immediate aftermath of the game, I understand. Arsenal statements, Arteta refusing to row back. I think he's wrong. Yeah. I, 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 do you know what, Andy? I completely agree with you on the club statement. I just don't understand it. I, I, I think the club's point of view, to be fair, to be put, put, they were worried that basically Arteta comes out and says that on Saturday, on Saturday night. Sunday is a, is a you know is a blank day basically, and then playing almost playing into Monday, and they basically saying, well, if we don't say anything, all of a sudden the mood music will change. Well, do the club back him? Why well, haven't the club said anything? And I have to say, in the modern age, there is something in that because we we are looking, and basically you know never on Carragher slaughtered them, and you know on on Saturday night, and went again for a double dose on on, on Sunday, and at some point I do think that would have entered the conversation. I do. But I still think, personally, it should have just held firm. Leave it with the manager. It's just not a club statement. It's just not club statement territory. It's not. And I think they're basically almost trying to match up with um, uh, with, with with Liverpool, in a way. But Matt, I do want to move it on to just a broader um, topic, please, um, in that basically... Where do how do we fix VAR now? If I if I put my two pennies in, which is I think the first and most immediate thing we can do to improve it, and for the first time ever, um, I I you know we were both at Tottenham Chelsea. I feel as if it's turning the game into a farce and a circus. And for the first time ever, I'm actually of the view someone who's passionately behind you know better refereeing decisions and better. Uh, officialdom and VAR. I think it's time to pause VAR. You can't do it mid-season, but you give it a break for a year. Anyway, I do think if we, we obviously can't go down that route until the summer, but 
one thing we could do is introduce teams so we have an understanding and a relationship where you know a linesman puts his flag up and um, basically in, in the knowledge that basically you know that's going to work with the referee and the referee understands and the VAR understands but how do we fix it um well I mean I was going to mention Hans Postacoglu in relation to Arteta who was I thought was absolutely immense on VAR after the most ridiculous game of football either of us have ever probably witnessed. Um, it, it, it was abs- uh, and it was kind of intriguing that game because we could follow the drama. We had a little uh, set up, but you know, monitors so we could see the fans around us are saying, "What on earth is going on?" And they're the ones who've paid all the money to come and watch football, which is where we've got to, why we've got to get it sorted. Um, I think. Oh, well, we've had briefings with the FA in the dim and distance part of the PGMO, PGMOL, um, where they've celebrated the fact that something like 99% of linesmen's, as they were in the day, uh, decisions on offside are correct. Uh, and we've sat and embarrassed ourselves of videos and called offsides that were never offside. We, you know, we've done that. Uh, and they were trumpeting how brilliant they were. Well, okay, well, let's trust that then because we're getting as many wrong, it seems, with VAR and the crosshairs as we are, um, you know, nowadays, but it's just taking 12 extra minutes of added time. Um, goal line technology, is, as Postacoglu said again, that works. You know, well, one, one glowing example where it didn't, uh, which was an unlucky, you know, accident of where all the cameras were and where the bodies were. But generally that works. People accept that. It is now becoming a game that we don't necessarily want. Uh, and it's the fans in the stadium are suffering most. They're the ones who pay incredible sums of money to follow their teams. And, you know, it slows the game down. And, and when you, you know, when you're looking for you're looking back in the tape for three different incidences we had in that Spurs Chelsea match. Was it offside? No. Or perhaps we spotted a penalty. No. Oh well, maybe there's another penalty. Oh, okay, yeah, we finally found one. Let's give them that. You, you sort of you completely undermine the whole idea of playing advantage. You just change the whole laws of the game. Um, you know, presumably in the old days, you play the advantage, give them a chance to shoot. Oh, he's straight offside. Bad luck. It's a Goal, you know, goal kick, whatever, indirect free kick. But but now the laws have changed. So you have a go and then you have another go and then you have another go. And all the time you just stand around waiting. The fans are just standing around waiting. What on earth are they looking at? We don't know, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just a farce. And, yeah, it does need a reset. We need to – if given that we've rethought the whole timing of games anyway, independently in the Premier League, because – as was anticipated, none of these 12 minutes of extra time are, are going on in the Bundesliga or La Liga. This is something, Rob, we've made for our own back on that anyway. Let's look at our, ourselves as the Premier League and say, no, this isn't the way we want it to operate anymore. We need to tidy the whole thing up and, uh, and go back to the closer to the, the referee's decision being final um, on the field, as it always has been. I mean, it's it's such a misstep at the moment on these subjective decisions. As mentioned earlier with the the slow motions and everything, it's given a false impression of what football is. Uh, And so we're refereeing a different game to the one that we're actually playing. And uh, and that's wrong. Yeah, I'm absolutely in agreement with you. Um, 
I, I must say, it's it's reducing it to to a farce. I mean, I do not know where people got the idea that Monday night was um, a classic. I don't think it was a classic football match. I thought it was a circus show. I did, you know, thought it was an absolute freak show. And entertaining on that level. You know. Yeah. The person property is a great sorry, just person property is a great show, Jamie Carragher, who works for Sky, who are televising it. And it's becoming a television sport. And then they had all the intricacies. They could keep showing all the pictures, all the lines, all the replays. The, the, the TV viewers are fine. It's the guys in the stadium are missing out badly. Totally agree with you. The, the, the stadium, the stadium, the, the, the guys who pay for the, the you know bums on seats, basically, are the guys that are missing out. Really, are oh, the fans near us? I remember one, one woman was incredibly passionate Spurs fan, just completely losing it because she had no idea what was going on. And yeah, they've worked and improved the big screen, you know, sort of uh, information, shall we say, on checks. But it still feels like you're miles off it. Andy, I just want to move it forward on slightly on onto Howard Webb, in that basically, I'm a big, you know, I, I, I thought when Howard Webb was appointed, I thought, great, here we go, this is going to be, this is going to be good, and I appreciate it takes time. But I tell you, one thing that alarms me is that basically, I feel we're moving backwards. And I worry, and I've always thought, well, give Howard Webb time and he'll address it and improve it. A, has he got the officials who ultimately operate the gear? And B, for the first time ever, I remember someone who's a journalist pal of mine, no longer completely in the business, but basically, he, he, you know, he's always been big on officials and stats and, and, and so on. I'm sure you can guess who I'm talking about. Messaged me and said, time for Howard to go. You know, just not working. Are we at that point? I, I don't think we're at the point where it's time for Howard to go. I mean, I think he needs a lot more time in the job. I also, I'm, but I am very sceptical about appointing, in terms of refereeing, a high-profile figure who then feels the need. I mean, it's we, we're in a sort of chicken-and-egg situation. We, we want accountability but then we don't particularly want someone who's just saying stuff for the sake of it and going out there and being a figurehead, you know, high profile, who basically might like the sound of his own voice type thing, you know. I mean, it, it's – I think going back to the officials, have we got the officials? I think we have got the officials, and I think we have got the referees um, in this country. People blithely say, well, you know, how come, you know, it's better than Spain and Italy? It's we don't know it's any any better because we we don't watch enough football there anyway. Full stop. It's simple as that. And we do have good referees. Um, what I do think, listen, no, I think Howard Webb is a fine. He, he, you know, I, I do think what he needs to do is, and I'm sure they will in this international break, have a dialogue with the clubs, have a dialogue with managers, and let's just find out. Let's somehow find a way to move it on. I think it's got to be. You you, you guys were there on Monday nights. You clearly can't have that many stoppages. You clearly can't have games that are, and if I remember rightly, there was no particular long stoppages for injuries as there was last night. There was a stoppage for an emergency last night. And you can't have 21 minutes of added time in an entire game because you're looking at too many instances. So what do you do going forward? What does Howard Webb need to do or anyone else at the PGML and the managers say, listen, well, how are we going to move it forward so we're not, stopping it this many times. You're right, by the way, as a televisual experience, because I watched it on TV 
with mates in the pub on Monday night. And it was almost like another element to it was, right, wow, what's this next one going to be looked at for? And there'll, there'll be a big ooh and a big, oh, that came off Sterling's handle, that whatever. And it's almost like now a sport in itself, the televisual element, isn't it? You know, what can we find? And clearly that can't can't apply. So going forward in the long term, they need to have a think and say, okay, well, I'll tell you what, for example, let's all agree, all Premier League managers, all Premier League clubs and the PGO, that we're not going to adjudicate VAR on upgrading cards, you know, um, or on, on you know, we are going to go by the referee's decision on tackles, on challenges, full stop. That's all, that's all we're going to do. Let's leave it at that. But then they all have to agree to that, and they all have to agree for no recriminations when they're Let's, until we get semi-automated offsides, let's not do any marginal decisions or offsides. Let's not draw any lines anymore, okay? And then they need to start finding ways where they can limit the amount of times they have to go to the VAR intervene, simple as that. But the managers have to agree to that. I do genuinely think, and you will find anomalies, you will find moments that you'll say, well, why didn't VAR get involved? But I genuinely think the the card situation for um, for tackles that are dangerous or violent, the slowing down has become a big issue, hasn't it? You know, replaying these tackles in slow motion. We saw it last night with, with Marcus Rashford. We've seen it so many times. And I just don't think you can win on that one. Everyone is going to be subjective. Habits in the game the other day, you know, um, against Newcastle, uh, that one, demoration in the, 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 the arm, you could go on forever. And unfortunately, it is going on forever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I tell you what, I just think it's worth taking in a few comments here. Ivan Brown saying that basically Arteta, you know, only angry because they lost on on, on Saturday. Um, you know, which uh, if the shoe was on the other foot, and I do think you know, I make him, I make him right here. You know, he doesn't. But I guess everything hinges on the one decision. In fairness to him, doesn't he? You know, and um, Andrew Deutsch, you know, basically. <laughs> Questioning sort of who, who on earth would replace Tenag anyway, and uh, an angle comes up from a very good point saying, "Don't blame the manager. The manager is doing good work. Blame Rashford." Oh, blimey! You know Rashford's in in an unfortunate place right now, isn't he? Um, and, and I do feel sorry for it. But listen, let's move into the um, sort of kind of having a look at look at the weekend. Listen, Spurs have been a breath of fresh air this season. Um, absolutely fantastic start to the season. Ended on 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 Monday night. And then the consequences, Matt, were, were huge, weren't they? You know, Madison gets an injury. You know, Romero, red card, three-game ban. You know, Van der Ven, uh, uh, that, that to me looks a really bad one and a long, long layoff, to, to be honest. Um, and, you know, it's 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 going to test their squad. And the squad, let's be honest here, it was thin anyway. How do Spurs react to Wolves on Saturday, Matt? Well, their reactors, I think they react positively. Whatever, and that's the great thing about Postacoglu. He's got the right um, sort of attitude. The players will bounce back. You can't, you can't spend too long in Postacoglu's company, it seems, without feeling upbeat again. And, you know, he's got that magic at the minute. Um, so, so that won't be an issue. What will be an issue is the way they ended the game 
um, on Monday with uh, back to a uh, centre back pairing of Eric Dyer and Emerson Royale. Um, you know that that's not good enough, unfortunately, for the Premier League for a Premier League title challenge. Certainly not. Eric Dyer has been a great servant for the club. Uh, nearly scored, you know, an equaliser to boot as well. So um, was nearly scored the uh, the first goal. And if, if Spurs had come back, then we yeah you know, we'd be having a different discussion because it would all be about the attitude. That was their their nine men coming back against uh, to to equalise to all. Um, but but you know Emerson Royale has never. He always sounds something that you. You'd buy out of a cheap burger joint, an Emerson Royale, and uh, I don't know what the Royale means, but it, it certainly doesn't sort of add any sort of quality to him. And, you know, he, he's not a particularly good fullback. He's certainly not a centre back. Um, and Spurs are going to struggle if if you know that injury was as bad as it looks, and they've got you know Romero out for three games. You know, anyway. So uh, yeah, no, it's going to really test the a Madison. Not sure. I think he was more precautionary. Uh, fingers yeah. crossed for England. He's playing on one leg, though, Matt. I, I just feel like Madison's like, I, it feels like every time I watch him at the moment, please don't get me wrong, he's made a super start to the season, but he's made a broken glass, you know, or made a glass, I should say. Um, and then basically, um, you know, uh, it's, it feels like he's just on, on, on sort of almost twinkle toes, really. And... You know, I don't know. It, feels, it looks to me like you are waiting for him to break down for some reason. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. So it does yeah. seem fragile, I have to say that. Um, but then again, these sort of mercurial players tend to be the ones that, that are a little bit fragile and whatever. And, you know, standing on one leg, he's still going to use the other one to play a superb pass. Um, and that's why they, yeah, man, just stick with them and keep playing them like that. Um, He's keep that. That said, there is still enough about that squad to 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 muddle along. They're in front. They've got an advantage. They've got to lose that advantage before that they start sort of um, worrying about not being in contention. Um, you know, Romero is only three games. Yeah, they, they might get through it, but that was always going to be the battle uh, for them all season. Is that the squad depth isn't. Isn't quite there for for as much as that, and they've lost. You know, um, Harry Redknapp was, I suppose, him the other day, week. He was absolutely adamant they won't win the league because they haven't got Harry Red, uh, Harry Kane, and uh, you know they've not really replaced him in terms. Of Son's done his best, but there again, Son again could have scored a late equaliser. Harry Kane would have done. Um, you know, that's the difference with Spurs now is that. Those fine margins that came would dig them out, earn them three points. They haven't got that anymore. And, uh, you know, it is, is a measure of the entire squad if they can bumble along. And then top four, I think, is still a great finish for them, uh, given, you know, what happens to them in the summer. And, and a promising start for a, for a five-year rebuild, which is how long it took Pochettino, let's be honest. I think for Spurs fans to be expecting them suddenly to be title winners, a year after you know where they were at the end of last season, it, it is a little bit sort of fantasy world, but uh, but they'll give you a good stab and it'll be a hell of a ride. Let's be honest, because you know from from his comments after the game to throughout, you know, Postecoglou has been a breath of fresh air for the Premier League, and uh, you know, and I think we can all enjoy the ride. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, what, what is utterly utterly bizarre was that I was. 
I was uh, had a had a week off actually, and basically just been out and about in London and sort of ran into some Spurs fans on the way back from Crystal Palace, Tottenham. And they, they shall we say, they enjoyed telling me that they were uh, five points clear and mind the gap, and and um, you know because we were on the tube. Um, and actually, do you know what? Nice, nice, nice fellas, and uh, and enjoyed a good night out. And I have to say, I've enjoyed watching Spurs this season, and I've enjoyed listening to Poster Coglet. But in in the space of you know, frankly, one game, they've somehow managed to blow a five point lead. It makes no sense at all. You know, I, I, yeah, clearly they played one game more at that point on the Friday night. But that that's that's your answer. But the team that they have succumbed to, Andy, which is the team teams to come to is Manchester City who go to Chelsea on Sunday I don't think I don't know whether you agree that City have hit top gear yet and they're certainly missing players so you wouldn't hit top gear yet but I tell you what still in awesome form aren't they wow yeah well I was there obviously for um, an incredibly predictably one-sided game um, on Tuesday night men against young boys and it was just exactly how, how you would imagine um, you're right there in the top gear, but you know what? That's why. That's why I just almost like going back to where we started the, the, the show. That's why I felt a little bit sorry for Ten Hag because when they did hit the straps, was that second half against Manchester United, and I think that played them into form. That was the best I've seen them in that second half against Manchester United. Um, and then, of course, they went on to blow away Bournemouth without Haaland even scoring, and they could have scored, you know, seven or eight on Tuesday. So they are going into some good form. But what I would say is that they are missing De Bruyne, and I think that will continue to be a big miss. They're now going to be missing John Stones, and I think they'll miss him considerably as well. They've got these games now coming up. Chelsea away, Liverpool at home, um, Spurs, Aston Villa. I think it's something like that. Certainly those four teams are the next four games or within four of the next five games. Huge time of the season for them now. I mean, a huge time. You would expect them to get through those games. But listen, Chelsea are going to be a really tough proposition for them on Sunday. They really are. And I just think without Stones, without De Bruyne, I just think they might be a little bit vulnerable. Kanji was injured in the um, in the warm-up. Um, his back seized up in the warm-up. So I still think, I'm with you, John, I still don't think they've hit tough form. I do think they could be vulnerable. They've lost two Premier League games. Okay, they're, they're on a, a, a really good run now. But I wouldn't take it as red that they'll get through these next four games and still be top of the league. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I think we've got a title race on our hands, which is a good we thing. We have. Which is absolutely. super for the Premier League. Well, yeah, more and than the two. Yes, yeah, well, absolutely, absolutely. You know, we've got minimum three, maximum yeah. five. Yeah, I agree, I agree. No, it's, and it's really good and refreshing to see, I have to say. On that note, guys, really good to see you. And thanks so much for joining everyone. See you same time, same place next week.